Yeah, so I, I want to talk from Ephesians 6 this morning. And it's a passage that has come up fairly recently. Um, so it might come as a bit of a refresher or a reminder this morning. Um, but yeah, we'll just we'll start off by, by reading through this, this passage. A final word. This is Paul, by the way, writing to the church in, in Ephesus. Um, and he's writing from prison. So he's, he's in jail at this point. Um, and this is what he says. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, So that's Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. A little while ago, uh, Sally talked about the armour of God. It was a really powerful testimony in when she spoke, it began kind of re-stirring some things in me that God had been showing me. But I just feel it's really relevant to bring it now. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping it's going to be really helpful for you guys this morning and something that you can just grab hold of, um, something that's equipping. We're in a season of harvest. That's the word over us at the moment. Um, and whenever there's a word like this, it comes in an invitation, um, and all of us get to say, yeah, God, I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to say yes to this word that you're, you're giving us. Send me, you know, include me in this harvest, in this work of uh, showing people what you're like, of bringing people to you, of sharing the good news. And it involves decisions like, you know, I'm going to stop and have that conversation with someone in the park, or... I'm going to text that person who's on my mind and arrange to meet up. Or I'm going to ask that you know, particular question when I'm talking with my friend over coffee that d- just might open up a door in the conversation to go somewhere else. We often forget when we're doing these things, we're saying yes to God and we're obeying, we forget we're, we're in a battle. As Paul says in this passage, um, We're fighting. He says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities. We're fighting. Some translations call it a struggle. You know, it is a battle that we're in. Um, Later on, he talks about fiery arrows that come and how the shield of faith can extinguish them. Um, But he's very matter of fact, the fiery arrows, they're happening. They're going to come. There's no question about that. But we're equipped to deal with it. And this isn't a cause to be fearful, it's not a cause to be worried, but it's just a reminder of the reality that, that we are in a conflict, 
let me say this. The enemy does not want you guys to discover your purpose. He doesn't want any of us to discover the reason we were created, the reason we were put on this earth. He doesn't want us to say yes to God's plan and God's purposes and say yes to the harvest. He doesn't want that to happen. And often it seems that, you know, the minute we actually step into our purpose and start to do the things that God gives us, often it seems that that's when we come under attack and things get tricky. Why is that? We're no risk to the enemy when we're on the sidelines. We're no risk when we're just minding our own business, making a comfortable life for ourselves. But as soon as we say yes, as soon as we step in line with his purposes, we become a risk. We become a threat. So I want to encourage us this morning. Maybe you're engaged in the harvest. Maybe that's you. You're saying, yes, Lord, you know, I want to be a part of that. Maybe you're battling discouragement or fear. Maybe you just feel like you're in a war zone at the moment and you're not sure why. You're like, God, this feels like a spiritual battle. This feels like an attack. Why, why is this happening? Maybe it's circumstantial pressures, family pressures. Maybe you feel like you're just feeling spiritually dry and lethargic and, and you were previously like full of fire for God and you're like, where's that gone? What's, what's happening? I want to remind us that if you're feeling like this, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. In fact, it could be that you're doing something right. And also, when, when you feel like this, it's not a prompt to give up. It's not a prompt to run away or try and step out the firing line. But it's actually a, a nudge to continue and carry on doing what you're doing. As Paul says, stand firm. Because we're equipped. So what is this, this armour that, that God gives us? Paul lists it in detail. So we've got the belt of truth. We have the body armour of God's righteousness, or the breastplate of righteousness. Um, we've got shoes, which are the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. We have the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation. And we have the sword of the spirit. Um, these are all great. They're all relevant, but I want to focus on two this morning. And these are two that God has particularly taught me the significance of um, over my life. And that's the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. I feel like these two are significant, and I'll try and explain why. Um, I feel like they're significant because they're the only two out of all the pieces of armor that you actually hold. All the others you kind of strap on. And, and you, you wear them, but once they're on, they're on, and, and you're, you know, it's like a passive protection. But there's something really active about the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And, and Sally talked about this in her, her talk. There's something really active about it. If you put them down, then you're no longer holding them. If you drop them or you want to pick up something else, then you've no longer got the shield of faith and, and the sword of the spirit. So it's appropriate to be reminded of them, to, to keep on holding them. And to unpack what that looks like. I want to give two examples now. Two stories of spiritual warfare um, in my family. And I kind of unpack how they, how they fit with everything. Um, many of you will know my brother Toby. Um, some of you won't. But he grew up in the church. And he currently lives in Sunderland. Which is a long way away. Went to uni in Durham and kind of stayed up that neck of the woods. And so he lives in Sunderland. And he's involved in a ministry up there in a house of prayer up there. Um, but a few years ago, 
he went through a really dark time of anxiety and depression. Um, in fact, all of us in, in my family, me and my two brothers, struggled with various forms of anxiety and, and mental health issues in different ways. Um, but this was a particularly dark time uh, for Toby. And it was a season where God really taught us spiritual warfare as a family. It wasn't just his issue. It wasn't just something he was going through. And we weren't just kind of you know, encouraging from afar, but we were really standing around him as a family. And it was, a, it was about us being unified in that. But each day was a struggle. In, in this particular season, 2012, you'd wake up in the morning and you weren't sure kind of what he'd be facing or the battle he'd be facing that day. And often it was, it was difficult for him to do anything. Um, there was one particular occasion uh, where we were due to go to a family wedding. Um, and it was a long drive away. And, you know, the thing is with family weddings, like you go and you see long lost relatives that you haven't seen for a long time. They all want to know in great detail how everything's going. And it's, you know, everyone's dressed up and it's meant to be this nice, happy time. And there's music and there's dancing and all this kind of stuff. It's the last place you want to be if you're going through something like that. It's a really difficult place to be. And so we woke up that morning. We were kind of getting changed into our suits and, you know, putting our ties on and stuff and just thinking, what are we doing? Like, we can't do this. Toby was not in a good place. He was full of anxiety, and it just did not seem like a thing we could do. Get into a car, drive two hours to this wedding. But we did. We, we got into the car, and I remember we were driving down Green Lane, um, Toby was just sat on the back seat, fully dressed, smartly in a suit, just with his head in his hands, just despairing. Um, and we just didn't know what to do. We were like, when we get there, we don't know what to do. We, we're just going to turn up, everyone's going to be smiling and happy, and that's the last thing that we feel like doing. And so there, in that car, driving down Green Lane, we cried out to God as a family. We said, God, we need something. We need help here because this isn't easy. Um, and straight away, Peter just said, hey, there's a guy with a psalm on his back. And we're like, what? A guy, a guy with a psalm on his back? And I'm sitting in the middle at the back. Toby's on my right, Peter's on my left. And Peter's looking out the window. I look out the window, and I see, sure enough, a guy cycling past the car on a bike with Psalm 25 written on his back wearing a hoodie, and he's got Psalm 25 on his back. And we're like, oh my goodness, he's, he's actually got a psalm on his back. He's a guy with a psalm on his back. <laughs> wow. Um, so what do we do? We look up Psalm 25, get it up on the phone. We read the whole psalm. And in the psalm, I haven't actually thought to get it up on the screen, but there's this whole bit about uh, feeling like you're alone, feeling like you're despairing, like you're abandoned, but how God is, is with you, and he's your strength. And in that moment, we just knew that that was God's word to Toby. And he lifted up his head, and he was like, that's God's word to me. And so we prayed into it there in the car, and we carried on. We went to the wedding, you know, we, we did all the wedding-y stuff, and it, you know, it was great, it was, it was great time, family time. Um, but it wasn't easy. And, and throughout the day, that anxiety continued, and I remember there were moments when Toby would have to kind of step outside because he just couldn't take it. And I remember one time in the middle of the meal, Toby just got up and left and went outside the building. And so I went out after him. 
and he was just sitting on like, I don't know, a wall or something. Just like, you know, I don't know, just getting some fresh air, just, just breathing. And I was like, Toby, I know what you're going through, but remember God gave us a word this morning. And I brought him back to Psalm 25 and I said, that was his word to you. That was his word to you. That's his encouragement to you in this moment. Um, and that word got us through the day. Um, I want to share about another, another story also involving Toby. So a bit later on, um, God broke into Toby's life in an amazing way. Um, amazing testimony of, of deliverance, really, of being set free from that anxiety and that, that depression. And, um, and God was doing stuff in my life as well and stuff in Peter's life. And this was 2013, and we were actually due to give testimony on Sunday morning. Um, we've done a couple of Sunday mornings, my family, all together. Uh, but this was the first Simmons Sunday that we ever did. Um, and we're going to give testimony about God's victory over anxiety in our lives, in, in our family. And Toby had come down, I think he was at uni at the time, and he'd come down for the weekend specially to, to do the talk. Um, and I was going to share something, Toby was going to share about his testimony, and my parents were going to talk about their role and their journey. But the night before, I remember it was a Saturday night, before we were due to, to give this talk, suddenly Toby gets hit with this anxiety. And it was like all the stuff that God had done was, was almost just completely undermined. And he was taken right back to you know, a year before, two years before, when he was really struggling. And I remember he was sitting in, in the front room of our house, again, head in his hand, just like, I can't do this. I can't give testimony tomorrow morning knowing that I'm still struggling. I feel like a, a hypocrite. I'm, I'm supposed to be going up to the front saying how God set me free from anxiety and I'm facing the very same anxiety right now. What, what's going on? And we were there as a family. We were like, what do we do? It's in the diary. We, we can't get out of this. You know, do we just grin and bear it? Do we just you know, stand up at the front and, and you know, just give what we were going to say anyway? And, and that didn't feel right. And, and we were wondering, like, what do we do? What do we do? And I began to feel discouraged as well. Because you know, when you're about to do something like that, you kind of you're kind of gearing up to it, and you're like, yeah, it's going to be good, and you were going to say this and this and this, and suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, is it all undermined? But I remembered a few days before this, I had a very strange dream. And in the dream, I was in like a field of wheat with my two brothers, Toby and Peter, and I saw this figure coming towards us in the field, and it was a dark figure, and as I looked closely, and as the figure came closer, I realized it was a panther. It was like a black panther coming towards us. And there was just this intense presence of evil that this creature carried, and it was coming towards us. I just remember feeling scared, and Toby was scared next to me. I was like, what am I going to do? He can see us. He's, he's stalking us. There's nowhere to run. And I remember in the dream, Peter just looked at the panther and just casually, you know, throw away, just like, oh, that, that's nothing, that's just a panther. And almost kind of laughed and chuckled. And instantly, in the dream, the panther just dissipated and just turned into a swarm of bees and just flew off. I know, it sounds weird and intense. But, but that sense of evil was just gone. And, and that was it. And in that moment, on Saturday night, I remembered back to that dream. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's about now. That dream was talking about this moment. That there's this thing... This intimidation, 
this sense of dread, anxiety, evil that the enemy is trying to bring into our situation, but it's not real. It's just an illusion. And we took hold of that dream and we declared it. And we said, this is God's reality and this is greater than the illusion of the enemy. And that anxiety dissipated in that moment and we gave our talk and it was encouraging for many people. And it was actually a milestone giving that testimony on, on our journey and part of God's, God's healing process. I'll return to those two stories in a minute, so I just want you to hold them in your mind. Psalm 25 on his back and uh, the panther. And I'll explain how they fit with everything I want to say, but um, I just wanted to, to share those briefly. So what does it mean to, um, to make use of the shield and the sword? Um, it can be complicated when you unpack sort of biblical metaphors. You know, the Bible's full of these pictures of different things. And, you know, it can get confusing trying to understand, okay, so what does, that, what does that look like? What does that mean in real life? But there's two very simple things that I believe God has shown me about, the shield and the sword, throughout the last few years of my life that I just want to share, and hopefully it will be helpful for all of us. The first thing is they're both useless without something to hold. They're both useless without a handle, Okay. So if you imagine a shield, it's a massive, heavy, cumbersome thing. You can't really hold it without a handle, much less use it in a battle. And it's the same with a sword. If a sword doesn't have its, you know, a hilt or a handle, it's dangerous. You're holding like a blade, like a sharp blade. You can't fight it, you can't wield it. Without a handle, a shield and a sword are pretty useless. And I feel like sometimes faith and sometimes the power of the spirit can be a bit similar. You're like, what is faith? You know, how do I get faith? How do I grow it? How do I sort of drum up more faith? You know, it's hard to consider what faith actually is. And the power of the Spirit, sometimes that can feel similar. What is the power? You know, how do we access God's power when we need it? The second thing God has shown me is the handle is the Word of God. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by this. With both the shield and the sword, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, I believe the thing that we hold on to, that the blade and the shield is attached to, is a word from God. In Romans 10, it says, faith comes through hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And when Paul describes the sword, he actually calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I believe there's something integral about the word of God to both the shield and both the sword. And when we say word of God... I don't just mean the Bible, which is all the word of God, and that's great. But I mean a rima word of God. So rima is the Greek word um, that is used for uh, word, word from God. And it means something spoken now, something that's living, something that's active, something that's specifically for me, something that interrupts my day, interrupts my circumstance and says, you know, it's God saying, this is a word for you right now. You know, it's the psalm on the back. It's the dream that just cuts through. That's what I mean by a word of God. So sitting in that car on the way to the wedding, you know, driving, I could have said, now let's just remember to have more faith. Come on, Toby, let, let's have more faith. Remember the, the shield of faith, you know. But I don't think it would have been much help. So what did we do? We cried out to God. He gave us a word. We held the word, and what was attached to the word? It was faith. Sitting in my parents' 
living room the night before we gave our testimony on that Sunday, I could have said, let's really try to harness the power of the Spirit now and just take authority. But it probably wouldn't have helped. So what happened? I remembered a word that God had given me in a dream. We took hold of it. We declared it. And what was attached? The cutting power of the Spirit that broke into that situation, cut through the anxiety, and brought release and breakthrough in that situation. God knows that as human beings, we like things to be tangible and to be graspable and holdable. And faith and the power of the Spirit aren't, aren't particularly like that, you know, in and of themselves. But I believe that's why God speaks to us. Because a word from him we can hold on to. We can cherish it. We can remember it. We can ponder it and meditate on it. We can declare it. And I believe it's to this Rima word that the face of the shield and the blade of the sword is attached. I know that Toby had a, a calling from God in his life. He had things that God had given him to do, a purpose to step into and walk into. And I believe that's true for every single one of us here today. And um, the enemy's not happy about that. But I believe that everything that God has called us to do, he will sustain with his word if we ask him for it and if we look to him for it. So I want to answer this question now. So if, if the word from God is the thing that we hold on to, how do we catch a Rima word in the midst of a battle? Because it's all very well a guy you know, driving past the car with the psalm on his back, that's pretty obvious. Or a dream, you know, again, you know, quite, quite obvious. But that kind of thing doesn't necessarily happen that much. But I just want to talk about three simple ways that I have learned over the past few years that God speaks to me. And when I'm in the middle of a battle, when I'm in the middle of a struggle and something that I'm finding hard that he's given me to do, these are three ways that God has consistently, time and again, brought his Rima word into my life. And I just want to share them with you this morning. So the first way is through scripture, is through the Bible. And it's a kind of obvious one. But if we're saying yes to God and we're, we're stepping into his purpose, we need to be saturated in his word. We need to be getting, somehow getting the word of God into us. And it can be hard to do that um, when our lives are busy. Um, at the moment, I, I know that I have a 10-minute commute from Barking to Limehouse. I work in Limehouse in a coffee shop, and I know it takes 10 minutes from Barking to Limehouse, and I know that that's just long enough for me to read a chapter of the Bible. So I get the Bible up on my phone, and I, I read it every morning on that 10-minute commute. And you know, you'd be surprised the amount of times a thing that I read in that 10 minutes speaks into my day, or it will crop up again in the day, or someone will mention something and I'll think back to it, or it'll be relevant in some way. Because that's just the way that I've said to God, okay, I'm going to get my word your word, into me, just by reading it for 10 minutes. I don't know if any of you have had that experience where you're reading the Bible, and you're reading, I don't know, a psalm, or whatever it is, one of the Gospels, and you're reading it, and it's, it's great, it's the word of God, it's all good, maybe I'm understanding it, maybe I'm not understanding it, but then you suddenly read something, and it, it's a verse, or, or whatever, and it just jumps out, and you just know that it's for you. You know that it, it just jumps out from the the mass of the word of God, which is all great. And it's God saying, this is my word to you right now. This is my Rima word for you right now. When that happens, when you're reading his word and something jumps out, 
that's something that you can hold on to. I can think of times in my life, seasons of my life, where God has given me particular passages in the Bible. I could, you know, talk about them right now. Psalm 20, Psalm 16, Luke 12. These are things I've just been reading at different seasons in my life, different struggles, and God has said, this is my word for you right now. And it sounds obvious, but if I'm not reading the Bible, that's not going to happen. And, and there are times when it's harder to get the Bible into my life than other times. I can think of you know, points in the past where I have had you know, lots of time in the day to be reading his word, and times when I haven't. But I challenge myself to think, whatever I'm doing, whatever I've got on, I want to get a rhythm in my life where somehow his word is getting in, um, and he can speak through it. second thing I want to talk about is situations. Uh, this is the most relevant emoji I could come up with. I'll explain the relevance of that in a second. Um, it says in Habakkuk 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will see what the Lord says and how he will answer. I find it very interesting that we don't just hear God through reading things or through listening, but we hear God through seeing. I will see what he says. God speaks, and he has spoken to me time and time again through unusual circumstances. We might call them coincidences. But I believe that when we pay attention to these things, we have permission to say, okay, this is a word from God. This is a Rima word from God that I can hold on to. Um, I'll give an example. Um, Jane and I got married last year. Um, we went away on honeymoon to Montenegro. That's Montenegro, beautiful country. Um, and we had a great time. Um, Jane's favorite chocolate is a Raffaello. I don't know if any of you know what Raffaello is. It's a bit like a Ferrero Rocher, and this is where the picture comes in, because it looks a little bit like this. It's the same color scheme. It's a bit like a Ferrero Rocher, but it's the coconut version of Ferrero Rocher. So it's like a white chocolate and coconut and like a coconut cream inside, and it's, it's nice. That's a Raffaello. We get to our honeymoon. We arrive at our first location in Montenegro, and there on the side in our room is a box of Raffaello. And I think, oh, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Um, it's Jane's favorite chocolate. God knew that. You know, he provided a Raffaello. We moved to our second location in Montenegro, so we're staying at two different places, completely unrelated. And at the second location, on each pillow of the bed was a Raffaello. Now, I'm not aware that, you know, they're made in Montenegro or the nation of Montenegro has a particular axe to grind about Raffaello. <laughs> I, I didn't even see them anywhere else for the entire duration of the trip. But there on the pillow, two more Raffaello. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Isn't, isn't God cool? But to cap it all off, we arrive home from our honeymoon and we get to the place where we're staying. And my mum had arranged all of the wedding gifts that people had given us on our wedding day and put them in the front room so we could come home and we could open all of our gifts, and it, it was great, you know. But there on the sofa, my mum had left a box of Raffaello <laughs> waiting for us. And we were just like, oh, isn't that amazing? Like, and it is, it's amazing. God knows the little things that we like, just the little frivolous things that aren't important, but he knows what will make us smile. Um, but there was also a moment on the honeymoon that wasn't so easy and frivolous. You begin to realize when, when you're married or, you know, in a relationship, and you realize there are moments when there can be slight miscommunication. Um, 
And you're thinking one thing in your head, and your, your wife or your husband is thinking something completely different, and you both think each other's thinking something about each other, but that's not what you're thinking about each other. And so you can quite easily get angry or frustrated about something that has absolutely no basis in reality whatsoever. And we realized midway through our honeymoon that actually, for a day or so, it was quite difficult. The enemy was, was trying to drive a wedge between us by lying to us about what, what each other thought of each other. Um, and it, it was actually a, a difficult moment. And I was there thinking, I don't know how to, how to get through this. I, I don't actually know what to do. Um, we talked a lot about communication in a marriage course and all that kind of thing. But in that moment, I was struggling to bring to mind all the things that, that I needed to know about how to deal with this situation. We were a week into marriage and, and you know, everything was great. And then suddenly, yeah, there's this, this miscommunication. Thankfully, God guided us through it and we realized that actually we'd both believed a lie about what each other thought. And so as soon as we spoke that out, and we were like, oh my goodness, like that's totally not true. We were able to pray over it and, and move on, and God got us through it. But you see how in the middle of that situation, um, the Raffaello, it became more than just a cute gift from God. It actually became something that proved to us that he was with us in the midst of that circumstance. He's saying, I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you in the first location of the honeymoon, the second, when you get home. And so something very frivolous, a coincidence, perhaps, becomes extremely powerful. It becomes a shield. I've decided I don't believe in coincidences. I've decided life is much more fun without coincidences. I'm prepared to believe that anything could be a word from God. Sometimes it's not. I'm prepared to believe that it could be. And I can think of so many situations where something like that has proved such a strength to me in what I'm going through. So that's number two, that's situations. The final way is spoken words. Um, and I'm talking about the prophetic. So people actually sharing words with us and proclaiming what God is saying. Um, and quite often that is how God speaks. He speaks through each of us. A little while ago, um, I was going through a very intense week. And I'll give you some insight into this, into this week I was going through. Um, Jamie and James were away that particular week, so responsibility for Friday youth had fallen to me. Um, I also had to plan a 16 plus session on Wednesday, and I had no plan for either 16 plus or youth. So on the Monday, I didn't know what I was going to do. I also had to do a Doulos teaching on Saturday, and I had a bunch of random thoughts for it, but nothing like, you know, set in stone. And again, I was kind of anxious about that. I was also recovering from flu at the time, and I was just feeling really run down, and so like everything was taking longer, and I just wasn't, wasn't feeling good. And on top of everything else, I was trying to find the right moment to ask out Jane. Um, and I knew that she was going to be at youth, and she was going to be at the Doulos teaching. And so it kind of just intensified both of those things in my mind. Um, just emotionally, you know, I, I just, as I was preparing it, it just kind of made everything more intense. It was an intense week, and I don't know, like, different things are, are pressures for different people. Maybe for you, that week wouldn't have been intense. For me, I was feeling the pressure on that particular week. But God got me through it, you know, and 
he provided in each of the different things, and, and, and it was fine. But I just remember on the Saturday night, I was just exhausted. And I hadn't asked Jane out by that point, by the way. I hadn't done it. Um, and I just cried out to God. I was like, God, I just I need a word from you. I can think of a few times in my life when I've done that. I've just said to God, I need a word from you right now, just to show that you're with me. And so I asked him for that. And the following morning, Sunday morning, um, John stood up and did something, which I'm not sure if I can remember another time that he's done something like this. And he just basically said, I've got a word here, a prophetic word. And it could be for all of us or it could be for an individual. I'm just going to speak it out. And he spoke it out. And I can't remember all of the details of it. I wrote it down. But I can remember the gist of it. I can remember the main uh, thrust of what he said. And it was, for such a time as this, I am your God. There is a banner over your head called love. For such a time as this, I am your God. And I just knew, when I was sitting in my chair, that that wasn't just a generic word. That was God's word to me right, right there in that moment. Um, he knew what I was going through. He knew the unique things that you know, I find pressured and, and stressful. And God was speaking directly to me. And I think so often, it's through prophetic words that God speaks to us. It's something that underpins each of these three examples, um, and it's hunger. So in each of those situations, um, I was hungry to hear from God. And I was hungry because maybe the thing that I was going through I wasn't finding easy. And I think so often we're going through difficult circumstances, and it's the difficulty of the battle of what we're going through that produces a hunger in us that makes us cry out to God and say, God, I want to hear your voice, and then we notice it. It would have been so easy just to think, oh, Raphael, that's a nice coincidence. Or you know, John stands up and, and gives a word. Oh, isn't that a great prophetic word? I'm sure someone's really blessed by that. But because I was in that place of hunger, because I was listening to him and crying out to him, I received it as a word for me. I want to share another story from this week. Um, I've been sharing a lot about intense weeks in my life. and The last week that I've just been through has been similarly intense. Just a few things that happened. Um, so five different people at work were sick at the same time. Um, it got to a point where each day in the week was unpredictable, and I'd be receiving texts at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, can't come in tomorrow, or you know, in the morning, someone saying, I can't come in, and I didn't know what shift I would be doing because I had to move things around. There were huge gaps in the rotor. I was working overtime. We had to close early one day. One afternoon, we didn't have a barista, so I work in a coffee shop. So we couldn't serve coffee for a whole afternoon, which is not very good if you're running a coffee shop. Um, meanwhile, I had no time to do admin, so I couldn't actually do the rotor. So I, we were like living in the moment, just <laughs> not knowing what was coming next. Um, one staff member went missing. Um, the card machine, <laughs> the card machine that prints the receipts and takes card payments broke. So we had to get a new one delivered, and then it took a day to come, and then that one broke. So I was on the phone, like, doing all this troubleshooting thing with this lady, and, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried? Yes, I've tried that, I've tried that. You know, going through all the different options, and then they send you a new one. So two consecutive card machines broke. Then the Till software broke. And then the next day, the actual iPad that we're using broke. Um, so we were writing orders on notepaper, doing mental maths in our head, which just adds the intensity. Um, 
We have a bakery that delivers pastries every morning to the, the coffee shop. And um, we've just changed all the locks in, in the cafe. And so I needed to deliver a key to this bakery so they could get in and deliver the fresh pastries so they're not outside in the cold. Um, so I had to travel all the way over to West London, two-hour journey, which I didn't know before I had to do it, to deliver this key <laughs> to uh, the lady because my manager wanted me to do it in person, didn't want to send it. So I delivered the key, and then the next day, the pastries arrived outside the door, and they weren't brought in. So I, I called them up. I was like, what's happened? I delivered the key. The driver had lost the key that I delivered. Or they, they changed delivery companies or something, so, and the key didn't get passed on, so it's like a security issue and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, a mouse got into the pastries. So we had to... We lost a whole day's worth of pastries. At the same time... Um, so we've got a baby on the way, and the due date is fast approaching, and we're trying to get the house ready. You know, we've had work done on the house. And so in the midst of all of this, you know, we're doing trips to Ikea and stuff to try and get last-minute, you know, wardrobes and things to sort our clothes out. So all of this is happening at the same time. And um, it's helpful, actually, from a work perspective, uh, being married to a doctor, because it reminds me that I'm not actually dealing with life or death situations. <laughs> it is just coffee, you know. Um, I'm just serving hot beverages to people. But, um, but yeah, so that was a situation. But I remember one morning, again, I was on the train, uh, barking to Limehouse, 10 minutes. I was reading Hebrews 12. And I was walking into work. And I said to God... I, really need a word from you. I, I don't know. I just, sometimes you doubt if you're really doing what, what he wants you to be doing. Because when work is so busy like that, it just affects every other area of your life. And I'm like, God, is this really what you want me to be doing? Am I where you want me to be right now? And I thought back to when I started the role, like a year ago. And I remember he just gave me loads of nudges and confirmations that he was with me. Like, you know, I'd be reading the Bible, and the same thing would come up in the Bible study that we had at work. It's a Christian coffee shop. Sorry, I should, should mention. Um, the same Bible, Bible passage would come up, or someone would mention something or encourage me or say something. And it was just God's word saying, you know, I'm with you in this. And I said, God, something like that would just be really nice today. Um, anyway, I get into our kind of Bible study prayer time before work. And the guy that's leading it says, right, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12 today. And it was the exact same passage that I'd read in the morning. And the passage was all about the discipline of the Lord, which, I don't know, seemed somewhat relevant at the time through what I was going through. But it's all about how God disciplines the ones he loves. And it just reminded me, you know, I'm his son. And all the stuff I'm going through, he's using it to shape me because he loves me. And I'm his son, and he's a good, good father. And I was disproportionately excited about the fact that we were studying Hebrews 12 in that, <laughs> in that uh, time because I was desperate and I cried out to God and I said, God, give me a word. I need something from you. And he'd answered. So once God has spoken, what do we do? How do we hold a Rima word in the midst of battle? Um, again, I believe there are three significant ways that we can do this. The first one is we make it known. So we actually just speak it out. We say to someone, maybe it's someone that you're accountable to, maybe it's a friend, a peer, family member. You say, look, I think God has spoken this to me. 
I think this is his word to me. There's something so powerful about getting it out into the open and saying this is a word that God has spoken to me because you can be held accountable for it. Um, in 1 Timothy, Paul is saying, Timothy, you know, fight the good fight faith in accordance with the prophecies that you've been given. Because Paul knew about the prophecies that were given to Timothy, he could hold him accountable to it and say, look, remember those prophecies. Fight the good fight of faith. There's something so powerful about speaking out and letting people know about what God has spoken to you. I can think of countless times that Jamie has reminded me of words that God has given to me over the years. Second is meditate. Now, when we think of meditate, we think of someone sitting cross-legged, you know, like that, humming or something. That's not what I mean by meditation. I just mean what is filling your mind at any given moment. Because we're always meditating on something. But is it something good? Is it something encouraging? Is it what God has spoken to us? Or is it something completely random or different? Um, There are so many examples of people meditating in the Bible. When Mary receives news about uh, Jesus and and the fact that she's... uh, going to give birth to the saviour of the world, it says she pondered these things in her heart. She's meditating on them. In Psalm 77, David says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He's filling his mind with those things that God has said. And the great thing about this is you can do it at any point. You can be sitting on the bus or walking down the road on your way to school or, or whatever, and you can be just filling your mind with you know, removing things that are nonsense, removing things that are rubbish and lies, And just filling your mind, actively filling your mind with, but God, you've said this. Haven't you said this? You've already done this in my life. This is a testimony you've given me in my life. Three years ago, you did this for my brother, or you did this for my wife. And you're you're meditating, you're filling your mind on what God has said. The final thing, which I love, is make it plain. Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that the one who reads it may run. Again, there's something so powerful about physically inscribing something, writing it down. Maybe you keep some kind of book or journal. Maybe you want to write it in there. Maybe you want to make it as the background on your mobile phone, your wallpaper. Maybe it's like you want to have a flashcard and you put it in your wallet so every time you open your wallet, you can see this word that God has given you. Maybe you want to write it on your mirror, your bathroom mirror in the morning so that you're going to be presented with it every time you wake up. It's different for every single person, but it's making it plain. It's making it tangible. So I believe these three things, telling somebody, meditating, and making it plain, these are how we hold on to a word from God. Um, And it's a very active thing. Here's an example of me making it plain. Again, this was a little while ago when there was an opportunity for promotion at work, um, and I was anxious about it. I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. I knew it would you know, affect my life and commitment and stuff like that. And I just listed out all the different things that God had given me to encourage me. And I drew a little shield next to it. Uh, it's a supervisor role, little shield. And I listed out all the different things. And this was life to me. This was stuff that I could take and say, actually, God, these are your nudges that I am doing the right thing. Paul talks about the fiery arrows. But he says that the shield of faith can extinguish these fiery arrows. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced what it's like to be hit by a fiery arrow. I've touched on it this morning. It's you're walking down the road, or you're just going about your business, and things are fine, and suddenly a thought comes into your mind, a lie, an accusation, a fear, a doubt, and suddenly it feels like your world is crumbling around you, and you go from being absolutely fine to like, oh my goodness, what is happening? I feel so fearful, I feel so anxious. That's what it's like to be hit by a fiery arrow. I can think of so many times that's happened in my life. Um, 
when Toby was going through what he was going through, he was being assaulted by these fiery arrows. Even this last week, I've had doubts come into my mind. Are you really doing what you're meant to be doing? Is this really what God has said? Those are fiery arrows. But if we're doing those things, if we're actively holding the words that God has given us, if we're meditating on them, if we're being held to account about them, then that shield of faith can extinguish those fiery arrows. Finally, how do we wield a remal word in the midst of battle? Um, a while ago, Jane met up with Heidi, and, um, and they were chatting. They were talking about me. The conversation got, got onto me. And uh, Jane was talking about the shield of faith stuff and how God had spoken to me about the shield of faith and how I was using that and stuff. And Heidi said, I wonder if it's time that God gave Jeremy a new weapon. I wonder if it's time that Jeremy started using the sword of the Spirit. And I received that, and I was like, actually, yeah. God has shown me what the shield of faith is like, but what about the sword? What about the sword of the Spirit? And again, Sally touched on this in her talk, and I think there's something different in how we use a sword to how we use the shield, and it's this. It's declaration. I'm still on a journey in this, in learning how to do this, but it's incredibly powerful. Um, When Jesus does spiritual warfare, he doesn't petition God. He doesn't say, please, God, would you heal this person, or please, God, would you deliver this person. He declares it. He says, you are released, you are freed, you are healed. And when the disciples do it in Acts, they use the same pattern. In the name of Jesus Christ, take up your mat and walk. Is a declaration. It's taking God's reality and speaking it over the presented reality, which may not be true, and saying, God, your reality is more real than what I'm experiencing. And so I've been doing that this week. I've been walking into work. I've been declaring his victory over the circumstances and the, the pressures and the difficulties that I've been facing and actively taking that stance of declaration. When we were preparing to do our talk on Sunday morning and all those doubts came flooding in and the anxiety presented itself again for Toby. We didn't just petition God. We didn't say, please God, would you make things better? We stood on the word that he'd given and we declared it. We spoke it over our circumstance and something shifted, something changed. So we're in a battle. I'll just draw things to a close. We're in a battle. There's a point in Jesus' ministry when he's talking about battling these same rulers and authorities that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 and setting people free. And he compares them to a a strong man guarding a house. So in Luke 11, verse 21, he says, when a strong man, and that's these spiritual rulers and authorities that are opposing us, is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe, until someone even stronger attacks and overcomes him, takes away the armor in which the man trusted and carries off his belongings. So Jesus is speaking of someone stronger than our enemies coming and stripping them of their armor and setting them free. And I found that incredibly encouraging, um, that Jesus is stronger, that he has the power to do that. Later on in Colossians, Paul talks about the exact same thing. He says, You were dead because of your sins and because, of your, sin- because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 
Can you see it's the, the same process that Paul is describing? Jesus, the one stronger than the enemy, went to the cross and stripped these rulers and authorities of their armor. This word disarmed here, it's more than just taking away their weapons or it actually means stripped bare. There's a humiliation involved, stripping them of their armor. So what is the armor of our enemies? What, what, what was their armor that they've been disarmed of? One definition of armor is a person's emotional, social, or other defenses. So before Jesus died, our lives were measured up to the law, and we fell short. We were guilty, we were sinful, we deserved punishment. And the enemy reveled in this fact. He could accuse us, and he could rightfully accuse us because we'd messed up time and time again. And I believe that this standard of the law, this record of the charges that Paul talks about here from Colossians 2, I believe that that was the armor of the rulers and authorities. It was like their bragging rights. It was their defenses. They had legal permission to accuse us because we were technically guilty. But Jesus willingly took our punishment. He was the perfect sacrifice. He satisfied the law. He canceled the debt. He wiped it out. And in doing so, he stripped our enemies of their confidence. He removed their armor. And guess who received the armor? We did. And when you look at the armor of God, it's everything that Jesus paid for. You've got the belt of truth. Holds everything together. We no longer have to live a lie. The breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous. We are completely perfect in Jesus. The sandals of the gospel of peace. We are equipped to carry this message to others. The helmet of salvation, we've been saved. The shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. So yes, we're in a battle. The fiery darts are flying. The enemy isn't happy. But we need to remember that we're fighting an enemy that has been completely stripped of his armor. And look at the protection and the weaponry that God has given us. There's no contest. So it's time to hold our shield and wield our sword and be crying out to God for a word, for something to grasp. Time to soak in his word and and ask him to make it come alive for us. And to be holding, actively holding the words that he's already given us and remembering what he's called us to. Um, There's one thing that God has reminded me of this week in everything that's happened and it's that he's faithful. He is a faithful God who loves me and he loves us. It says in Thessalonians, the one who has called you is faithful. He's a good father. He knows what we're going through. And if we cry out to him, he will sustain us in everything that we're going through and equip us for the battle. He's cancelled our debt. And we just need to stand firm in that truth.